Hey, Hope family, welcome back to another Hope Daily and another look at the book of Exodus. Today we'll be in Exodus 14, specifically looking at verses 13 and 14, but first, a quick story. A couple weeks ago now, uh, the girls were playing around the house, and uh, turns out that Nora locked her door and then came out of the room and shut the door. And so she didn't really tell anybody that this happened, but later we went to go into her room to get something, and the door was locked. And so we have, they're old doors, and so like above the doors we have those little, like, they look like Allen wrenches, but they're not, that you can like stick in and you can unlock the door from the outside. Well, those were all missing too. And I'm like, where did they go? They always sit on top of these doors. None of you girls are tall enough to reach them, so who is stealing them? And I still don't know, but uh, we had to get in the door, and I'm like, whatever, like, I'll, I'll just deal with this later. So then it got like closer to bedtime. I'm like, okay, we need this child to be able to go into her room. So I'm looking for things that I can like fit in there to try and unlock it. I tried like a credit card, but the door jam wouldn't allow me to do that. Trying to get things that will aren't too big that will fit into like the keyhole so I can jimmy it open and nothing is working. And I'm like, ah, man, all right, I'm gonna have to just take off the doorknob. So I go and get a screwdriver, take off the doorknob and then you can see the lock, it's exposed. And I'm going to, I'm not the most mechanically inclined, but I'm also not an idiot. And so I'm going to say that I must have been really tired that day because I'm just like staring at it and I'm like, what do I do now? Like what, what, huh? I don't, I don't know what to do. And, uh, I must've been there for a while and I asked Leah to come, I don't know, like to take a look at it to help me or to like if there was a specific thing I wanted her to do. I don't really remember, but I asked Leah to come and she comes and she just pushes the door open. (laughs) And I was like, oh, well, whatever, I'm tired. And uh, the job was done. Right, I didn't need to do anything more. I, I looked, I was staring at the problem thinking there's no way that I can do this. Like I, I, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do when really the job was already done. I didn't have to do anything. And similarly, though not quite the same, uh, I think the Israelites find themselves in a similar situation. There's, their thinking that they're in trouble is probably more justified than my thinking that I was in trouble. But they are able to leave Egypt And they get out of Egypt and then Pharaoh changes his mind and he chases after them. And so the Israelites find themselves at the the foot of the sea and they see water in front of them and these chariots and hundreds of soldiers coming after them. What are they going to do? Understandably, they believe that they're going to die. And they tell Moses as much. They say, why did you bring us out here to die? We could have died in Egypt. We probably would have, but you brought us out here to die in the wilderness. Why did you do this? Moses in Exodus 14 verse 13 says, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Be silent, be quiet, be still are different ways that that verse is translated. But you need to do nothing. God is going to work out this salvation for you. And God had just performed the 10 plagues. Israel watched that happen. 
They watched Pharaoh's heart hardened to the point of saying, get out of here. They saw that they went through Passover. They sacrificed the lamb. They watched this angel of death uh, pass over them, but take the lives of the firstborn in Egypt. They saw their neighbors say, here, take our gold, take our money, take our livelihood and get out of here. They'd seen God act on their behalf already. And this becomes a theme in Israel's story. That when we get into the book of Joshua and they are to drive out the Canaanites, that most of the action done is done by God. Jericho is probably the most famous story uh, in Joshua. And how do they win the battle of Jericho? They march around a city for a week. And then they blow trumpets and the city crumbles. Like God is going to always be acting on behalf of his people. And there's not a lot of effort other than obedience and faith that is on the part of the Israelites. But as we move through this, as we see in this story, and we move through the story of Israel, there are individual exceptions, but for the most part, they never fully get it. They continue continue to allow the visuals of their circumstances to inform their faith rather than leaning on the way that they have seen God move in the past. This remains true for followers of God in several different ways. In a spiritual sense, we know and affirm that we cannot save ourselves, that that the entire work was done by Jesus on the cross. But then once we are saved, we live as if it's our job to perfect ourselves, to become sinless. Like Paul says to the Galatians in chapter 3, you foolish, foolish Galatians, were you justified by the Spirit and now you think you can finish by means of the flesh? That is how so many of us, myself very much included, often live. That, yeah, we were saved by grace, but now it's up to me. Now I have to work it out myself. We feel like there's an impossible job in front of us and it's never going to happen, but it's up to us to make it happen. But it's not just true in a a spiritual sense. I think it's true in in the way that we live our lives uh, and interact with this world. That so many Christians believe it's our job to give God power, to, to put him in a position to do what he needs to do to make his kingdom come. And so we do this in a variety of different ways, but we attach ourselves to celebrity pastors or just celebrities. Like there are celebrities in Hollywood who say that they're Christian and I'm, I'm willing to believe them, but then so many Christians like flock to them and, and want them to be their mouthpiece to, to make it change. Or we think we need to vote for the right politicians so that they can enact the right laws that will bring about the kingdom of God. But I just finished reading a book called Upside Down Apocalypse, Grounding Revolution in the Gospel of Peace by Jeremy Duncan. And it was so good. You should definitely buy it. So I actually put the link in the show notes here. But the one point, at one point, he says, Jesus is already on the throne. It's up to us to catch up. And I just loved that line because we so often, the way that we live says that we feel like it's our job to put Jesus on the throne, that we have to work to make sure that Jesus can be in the position of power. But the reality is that through his death and resurrection, Jesus is already on the throne. And so we need nothing. We need to do nothing but be still, but to be faithful, 
but to be silent so that we can hear what God is calling us to do so that we can hear what God is already doing. And so if you've been steeped in worry, you've been looking around at the world and you're like, why are we going to die here? This is not what God must have wanted. And so we blame ourselves or we blame others who, who think differently or act differently than us and say, why did you put us in this position where we are going to die like this? I pray that the words of Moses would be an encouragement to you, that when your circumstances tell you that there is nothing to hope for, that you would realize that God is going to work out your salvation. In fact, God already has worked out your salvation. Jesus is already on the throne. And it's us who need to catch up to that, who need to live into that reality, that we are already safe. We are already saved. And let's watch God work on our behalf.